I am so glad to have Seth with us this morning. Uh, this is Seth Springs, Pastor Seth. He, um, four years ago, um, he's actually from Monroe, uh, North Carolina. Um, as soon as he opens his mouth, it's going to be very obvious he ain't from Monroe, Michigan. Um, but no, Seth is, um, Seth and I met two years ago, about two years ago, we met, I think, for the first time. And um, he was telling me about how God brought him from North Carolina to uh, Waterford, Michigan. If you're going to pick any place to live in Michigan, Waterford's probably not it. I'm sorry, man. I'm just going to say it. It's Monroe, obviously. <laughs> Maybe some of you would say Ida or something, but um, no. God put a really special call. He's going to explain to you how God brought him to Michigan in the first place. Um, Transformation Church, four years ago, just celebrated four-year anniversary. Congratulations. Uh, four years ago, started Transformation Church in Waterford for the purpose of reaching people and seeing lives transformed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So today, we've been walking through Revelation and the letters to the churches. Uh, today, he's gonna, we're going to take a little bit of a break from that. I want you to meet Seth. After the service, I want you to be able to talk to him, get to know him. Uh, Seth is one of our church planting partners. Uh, our church partners with the Southern Baptist Convention, the Baptist State Convention of Michigan, and Seth is a partner church. Transformation Church is a sister church in the work of reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I um, hope to give him full attention, hope to listen to him, show, I wouldn't say as much respect as you show me, but show him more respect um, than you show me. Please. And we're looking forward to hearing what God's laid on your heart. Seth, love you. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Well, good morning. We can do better than that. Good morning. Good morning. If you will, go ahead and find your way to Romans chapter 1 this morning. Romans chapter 1. Uh, as, as Pastor Nate said, my name is Seth. Um, I'm married to Taylor. been married for 10 years this year, so she's put up with me for that long. That's grace. Uh, we've got three wild ones that run wild all the time. We've got one back there probably destroying your ch- children's department right now. And uh, so God's been good to us there. And, and like Pastor Nate said, we do serve with, with your North American Mission Board, the, the SEND Network in Waterford, Michigan. We, we moved five years ago. Somebody gave us the great advice, move during the middle of winter. Uh, that'll work out well. So 17 hours and a snowstorm later, we got here. Uh, been going for five years now. And uh, we, we did that. You say, why? Well, God put this vision uh, on our minds, in our hearts to see lives transformed by the gospel. And that's what the gospel does, amen? Transforms lives. See lives transformed by the gospel. And you say, well, what about water? Like, why Waterford? Because that's a common thing. We hear that a lot. Like, why, why in the world, like, Waterford? And, and other, other than it being called Water Tucky and me being a pretty good fit for that, why Waterford? Well, I remember one of our first trips to Michigan. I don't know if you know a guy named Wayne Parker or not. Wayne Parker is the pastor over at Merriman Road Baptist Church. He's the, the leading mission strategist here in the state. And I'm in his office, and he's got this map. And there's, there's Oakland County, and right at the heart of it is Waterford. And he said, Seth, I'm just going to be honest with you. Nobody wants to go there. He said, it's a gospel ghost town. And when he said those words, in that moment... God lit a fire in my heart. What better place to see lives transformed by the gospel than a gospel ghost town? And so I know Waterford doesn't seem very elaborate or very luxurious uh, to most, but five years in, 
Uh, we wouldn't rather be anywhere else doing anything else with anybody else. God has been good to us. So thank you for your partnership. Thank you for praying with us, for partnering with us. And uh, with that, I'm, I'm going to pray, kind of calm my nerves, invite the Lord to work in us through his word. And then we'll dive in together, Romans chapter 1. Lord, we, we don't want to go through the motions. Lord, we don't want to just let another Sunday pass. Lord, we all come in here with different situations, different, different weeks, different worries, different concerns. But Lord, we all come in here with one singular need, and that's Jesus. So Holy Spirit, Lord, would you lead us there today? Would you lead us to Jesus? Lord, please help us respond in, in worship and faith and obedience and repentance. Lord, help us just to be in awe of you. Lord, if we just saying that, that I got saved, Lord, would we never get over the saving power of the gospel? Would it not get old and stale and cold to us, Lord, but would it be new to us like it, like it was yesterday that you yanked us out of sin and death and gave us a new heart, Lord? Would it be new to us today? Lord, that's our need. And in faith, we know you can meet it. And so, God, I pray that this would be your gospel and your power for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. I'm going to take it easy on you today. We just got one verse, Romans chapter 1, verse 16. And, and I'll tell you, if I got to preach my own funeral today, I think it would be this one verse. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. The Apostle Paul, the, the greatest Christian missionary to ever live, writes to the Roman church with these words. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, and also to the Greek. It's only one verse, and it's pretty short, so let's, let's read it twice. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Have you ever met someone and thought, why are you the way that you are? I may or may not have thought that the first time I met Pastor Nate. Why are you the way... That you are. No, but, but, but really, you're in a conversation. You're just a, a few minutes in, and you begin to think, what made you this way? Like, what, 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 what happened to you? Well, after reading Romans chapter 1, verse 16, those are reasonable questions to be asking the Apostle Paul. Well, what, what, what happened to you, Paul? You see, in, in the first century, when Paul writes this letter to us, it's not a popular time to be a Christ follower. 
If you believed in Jesus, his death and resurrection, if you followed him as the Lord of your life, if it was more than a Sunday to you, if you dared speak the words of the gospel to another human being, it might cost you your freedom, it might cost you your life. Real men, real women, just like us sitting in this room right now, being dragged from their homes, thrown in jail, stoned to death because they ascribed to what Paul says is the gospel that he's not ashamed of. The gospel came with a cost. Paul tells us a little bit about the personal cost he endured for the gospel there in 2 Corinthians rather, chapter 11. Listen to this. It says, five times I received the 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I have spent a night and a day in the open sea. On frequent journeys, I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people. This sounds like being a young parent. Dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers amongst false brothers. Toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold and without clothing. Not, not to mention other things, like if, you, if I missed anything in there, let me, let me just say, not to mention other things, and most of all, my concern for all the churches. Yes, it's reasonable to read Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and ask Paul, why are you the way that you are. Well, what, what fuels this love and devotion, this passionate proclamation? With all the pressure, all the pain, all the persecution, how do you remain so bold, so unashamed? What happened to you? Simply put, the gospel happened to Paul. The gospel is what happened to Paul. You see, Paul has not always been a, a Christian. Paul has not always been in the ministry, a missionary, just, just jotting down Scripture. No, at one point, Paul was on the other side of the persecution. He was the one dragging Christians to jail, cheering on as they're stoned to death. But then one day on a road to a city called Damascus, Paul met Jesus and everything changed. His sins forgiven. His guilt removed. The rap sheet erased. His, his heart made new. The only explanation for Romans 1.16 is that the gospel, the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus was personal. It happened to Paul. So the big question that I want to ask you this morning is, has the gospel happened to you? Is it personal? Can, can you remember a time in your life when you were going your own way, when, when you were going down your Damascus road, but then you met Jesus and everything changed? You, you had an experience, an encounter that you can't deny if you tried. Has the gospel happened to you? 
As we wrestle with this, as we kind of go through a a spiritual inventory of sorts, I want to ask you three more questions. Three clarifying questions to help us figure out if the gospel has really happened to us. The first question from the text is this. What is the gospel? What, 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 what is this thing called the gospel? And I know that sounds elementary. I mean, y'all been doing this for a long time. But what is the gospel? My, my favorite part of being a church planter is working with people who did not grow up in the church, right? Nate said, I, wanna, I, I want you to come because I want to introduce people to a church plant. I'm like, no, you don't. Right? We're pretty grimy. It's not as cool and, and trendy as it seems. I work with people who didn't grow up in the church. They, they don't know what we call church words. So we spend a lot of time defining that kind of vocabulary. You know, you know church words like grace, right? holiness, glory, salvation, potluck. Right? All, the, all this Christianese terminology that, that we just kind of throw around willy-nilly, assuming that, that people know what, what it means. But my favorite church word of all is the heartbeat of Romans 1.16. Paul says, I'm not ashamed. What I put my life on the line for, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. What what separates this word gospel from all the other church words? Well, in the original language, the Koine Greek, that word gospel is really simple. It it means good news. Will you say good news with me? That sounded like good news. Can you say good news with me? Good news. It really is good news. The best news ever. Right? This word in in the Greek, it's it's a picture. So it's a word picture. Right, it's this picture of this young man running back from battle, announcing that the enemy has been defeated. Right? Can you see him running across the field, approaching the gate? Hey, guys, the war's over. It is finished. We've won. It's an announcement. Good news. And what is this good news? Paul wants to make it clear for us. So in a separate letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he he clarifies the announcement. This is what he says. He says, now I want to make clear for you, in case there's any confusion, we need to define our terms here. Now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel, the good news, this announcement I preached to you. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received. Here it is. Don't miss it. That Christ died for our sins. Somebody say good news. It's good news, man. Don't ever let the bloody cross get old to you. It's good news. That Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. That He was buried. That He was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. The the, the Gospel is good news. It's an announcement. It is a very specific message. Say, Seth, why are you so insistent that the gospel not get old to us? Well, I remember we first planted, we had somebody on our team. They, they'd been a deacon before. They'd been on a, uh, a pastor search committee before. And I asked him, I said, hey, man, what's the gospel? Right? He wanted to be a leader in our church. And if you're going to be a, a leader at a church and wants to see life transformed by the gospel, you got to know what the gospel is. Said, hey, man, what's the gospel? And he said, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Right? If you play, that's a bunt. 
right? That, that's not a home run. That's a, that's a bunt. The gospel is a very specific message that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, he was placed in a tomb, and then he was raised on the third day. This is the gospel, the good news, the announcement. You see him running across the field. The announcement of Jesus' victory over sin and death for us. This is the gospel. Think about it this way. Delonte, my son, asked me, why, why do you have your old redneck, he didn't say old redneck, but that's what he meant, your old redneck mason jar, daddy. So I'm going to do a little show and tell. Imagine for a moment that this is as full as the ocean. Before the Bible gives us good news, the cure, the Bible gives us the bad news, the diagnosis. That diagnosis is that we are all sinners. That each and every one of us, no matter how sweet, no matter how cute, have rebelled against God's good design for us and for the world. It's called sin. And because of that sin, because God is good and holy, righteous and just, we deserve the full cup of God's wrath. Right? We, we, we deserve that for, for condemnation and punishment and judgment to be poured out on us. For, for death, hell, and the grave to be poured out on us. That's the bad news. The diagnosis for everyone in this room. We have a, a, an eternal disease. But here's the good news. At the cross, this is the gospel. That at the cross, condemnation and punishment, the full cup of God's wrath, death was poured out on Jesus, satisfying God's righteous standard. And because Jesus did that, then God's love and patience and grace and mercy, eternal life can now be poured out on you and I. This is the gospel. Now, if you're, if you're a little slower like me and you need it really simple, here it is. Four words. The gospel is Jesus in my place. 2 Corinthians 5.21, He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. This is the gospel. And I don't want you to think I'm just making this up. So, so I want to I give you a few more of my favorite verses here. This never gets old to me. I want to say it to you as many times, as many ways as possible. 1 Timothy 1.15, this has to be my life verse. Paul says to his disciple Timothy, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Good news. And I am the worst of them. Romans 5.8. At the cross, hear this, Jesus proved something. God was making a point. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you hear the good news in that? That God is not waiting for you to get things buttoned up, put together. He's not waiting on you to check all the boxes, to be the perfect mom. 
to be a great employee, to, to hide your gravest sins. No, this is the gospel, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, that while we were fighting a losing battle, that at the cross, Jesus steps on the battlefield and conquers our greatest enemy. He defeats sin and death for us. This, my friends, is the gospel, and it is good news. This is the gospel. Second question. What does the gospel do? Is it just words on a page, or is there some sort of practical application? Right? When the gospel is put on my life, what happens? Again, Romans 1.16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. So what? Big deal. Because it is the power of God for salvation. Because it is the power of God for salvation. What does the gospel do? I want you to imagine with me here for a moment that I'm late, and I'm never late, but imagine that I'm late. And I'm really late. Pastor Nate is up here stalling. It's 10.45. You're, you're ready to beat the Methodist to lunch. And finally, 11 o'clock comes. Worship is over. You're sitting around waiting. And I stumble in. I'm, I'm, I'm out of breath. I make it to the front. I grab a microphone and I say, listen, I'm, I'm so, so sorry. It's not my fault. You see, I've got an hour drive. I was on the way down from Waterford. I was coming down 275, and I was booking it. I was going to be on time. I was going to be early. But then I had a flat tire. The truck went ding, 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 and I had to stop. So I get out. I start changing my tire. And one of the bolts runs right out into 275. It just rolls right out there. And I said, well, I can't get to Heritage like this. So I, I got up. I went out in the middle of 275. I, I picked up the bolt, make sure it was mine. I turn around and make my way to the truck, and then there's an 18-wheeler semi-truck bearing down on me. And you look at me, I'm fast. I'm athletic, but I'm not that fast. Stop laughing, Nate. And that was it. That 18-wheeler ran me right over. And so I laid there for a minute, and then I remembered, i got to get to Heritage. I'm supposed to preach the gospel today. So being the man that I am, peel myself up off of 275, I dust my britches off, and I'm here. Just 30 minutes late. It's really not that big of a deal when you consider what happened. You would look at me and say, Seth, you're either crazy or a liar. Like, Seth has lost it because you know when somebody gets hit by an 18-wheeler, things change. Like, like things are moved around, rearranged. You, you walk a little bit different. You talk a little bit different. You move a little bit different. You can say when somebody gets hit with an 18-wheel Mack truck that they are transformed. The Apostle Paul would say to us, what is greater? What is bigger? An 18-wheel semi-truck or the power of God at work for salvation? Because when you have a head-on collision with the good news about Jesus, when you get hit, when the gospel happens to you, things get moved around, rearranged. 
It changes the way you walk. It, it changes the way you talk. It changes your past. It changes your future. It makes you a new person entirely, unrecognizable. This is why 2 Corinthians 5, 17 tells us, if anyone is in Christ, if the gospel has happened to you, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Somebody needs to hear this today. Your life can be different. You can be made new. And somebody else needs to hear this today. Right? Because we like to get institutionalized, right? We, we like to get buttoned up, but, but the gospel is more than theological information to be understood. The gospel is more than a Sunday school lesson to be learned. No, the, the gospel is an encounter with Jesus that transforms everything about our lives. Has the gospel happened to you? Have you had that head-on collision with grace? What does the gospel do? It's the power of God for salvation. And remember, Paul here is speaking from experience. He's, he's not just making up tales. No, in Acts 9, the power of God for salvation, this, this gospel explodes like dynamite in Paul's life. In, in a moment, Paul goes from marching against Jesus to kneeling before Jesus. This man who was so full of anger and hatred and self-righteousness is now overflowing with love, joy, and humility. He goes from town to town uh, spreading life instead of death, freedom instead of bondage. What a transformation. What good news. This is what the gospel does. It, it happened to Paul. And let me say, the only reason this morning that I stand here in front of you with an open Bible is because the gospel happened to me. I have to, I have to remind people quite often these days that, listen, I've not always been a pastor I've not always been a Christian. Now, sure, personality-wise, I've always been a pretty passionate guy, but I've not always been passionate about this. You might not be able to know now. Maybe you've put it together, but my family was a circus growing up. I was born out of an extramarital affair. My mom was hooked on crack cocaine. My biological father, nowhere to be found. And by the time I was 11 years old, I was headed down that same path, searching for something to fill the hole in my heart, the crater in my heart. Have you ever heard the saying that hurt people hurt people? I left a long trail of hurt people. And then about 15 years ago, God started a conversation in my heart. A conversation I so badly wanted to go away. But the Spirit of God would not leave me alone. He, he led me to a point where I, I heard the gospel. 
Right? I was introduced to, to Jesus. I, I realized in that moment that Jesus didn't just die. No, Jesus died for me. And because Jesus died for me, that means I get to go free, that I can have a life, that I don't have to continue the trend. I can break the cycle because that's what grace does. It's the power of God for salvation. Not just in theory, but in my life. In 15 years, man, that seems like forever, but can I tell you, the one thing I've found in 15 years is I need the gospel more right now than I ever have in my whole life. Last November, man, our life is good. I wanted to tell you that God has been so good to me. I've got three beautiful babies, a a lovely wife. Last year, we moved from a school, um, and y'all know that life. Some Some of you started here in a school. We started in a school for three years. We were able to purchase our, our very first building last year. Man, God is so good to us. But last November, I started to feel some physical symptoms that I just, I never felt before. I, you know, feel pretty good most of the time. I could, I'd convinced myself that I had Parkinson's. I go to the doctor, go to the hospital, and they say, no, this isn't Parkinson's. This is what we call a major depressive episode. And what I have found, because you might think the gospel is good news, but it's old news. What I have found in these last seven months is that I need the gospel to get out of the bed in the morning. I need the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus to go to sleep at night. I need grace and mercy applied to husband my wife, to father my children, to work a job, to pastor a church. I am desperate for the life, death, and resurrection to keep my eyes off of porn and pills out of my mouth. And and that's from a pastor. So just this is what the gospel does. You say, Seth, you sound weak. You have no idea. But this is what the gospel does. It brings dead people to life. From darkness to light. Right? It makes weak people depend on Him and strong in the Spirit. Without the gospel, man, my family would be just like the one I grew up with. So would you know this morning... That the same gospel that worked for the Apostle Paul, the same gospel that worked for me, that same gospel will work when applied to you. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is enough. Now, I know, again, you're trying to beat the Methodists, so let's hurry up here. First question, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? It's the good news, right? It's the good news. What does the gospel do? It powerfully saves and transforms. It's the power of God for salvation. Number three, who is the gospel for? Who is the gospel for? If the gospel is a party, then who's invited? Verse 16 again, Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, good news, because it is the power of God for salvation, to everyone who believes. First to the Jew and also to the Greek. Now, now Paul here mentions two groups of people, the Jews and the Greeks, also known as the Gentiles. It's important that we know who these people are. The Jews, you can think about as kind of the, the church crowd. 
right? They're, they're the Old Testament people of God. God. God came to the Jews, the nation of Israel, and he said, I'm going to be your God, and you're going to be my people. He makes a promise, a, a pact with them. And so the Jews had the law, they, they had the synagogue, they, they had the religion, the church clothes, that they, that they had all the things that make you right, moral, spiritual people. On the other side of the coin are the Greeks, the, the Gentiles, everybody else, right? If you're, not a, if you're not an ethnic Jew, you're a Gentile. You're, you, you were seemingly left out of the old covenant. The Gentiles, the Greeks, were considered godless pagans. Stray dogs, people, people like me. And between Jews and Gentiles it, it existed some harsh differences. There were racial differences, right? One group lived on this side of the train tracks, another group lived on the other side. Racial differences, religious differences, political and socioeconomic differences, they could not be more different. But notice again what Paul says in Romans 1.16. The gospel is the power of God for salvation, here we go, to everyone who believes. Don't miss this because this is huge in what we call the, the grand narrative of Scripture. Here, God is melding together two families into one. Through the power of the gospel, God transforms two totally different groups of people into one family under grace. Through the gospel, God is extending an open invitation. Hear this. This is important for the way that we live, the way that we see God, but it's important also for the way that we see our community. God is extending through the gospel an open invitation. No matter your race, your language, your nationality, no matter your family history, your political affiliation, or your sin preferences, the gospel is good news for you. The gospel is an open invitation. It's for everybody. God gives us a, a picture of this, the culmination of this in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 10. God, speaking to the Apostle John, gives a glimpse of, of heaven. If you're wondering what heaven looks like, here it is. After this, I looked... And there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Do you see that? Now listen, I grew up in the South. Specifically, my county, back in the early 2000s, was hit very, very hard, and I say that strategically, by an influx of immigrants from Mexico. And I, I remember standing in line at a gas station to get some gas station fried chicken, hearing a man saying, I don't like those people because they don't talk like us. At least they can learn our language. Now looking back, I think, man, that guy would hate heaven. After this, I looked and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language which no one could number. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were clothed in white robes and branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. In case you're wondering, this is why God calls us to share the gospel and send others to do the same. John Piper would say, Missions exist because worship does not this is why we serve locally and go globally. 
This is why God calls us to to plant new churches near and far, to to give generously and support missionaries. Do you wonder why at Southern Baptist we take up 47 offerings every year? It's Revelation chapter 7. We want to populate heaven with the peoples of the earth. Because God does too. We carry out the mission, we, we share the gospel so that the gospel can happen to people all around the world, to everyone who believes. To everyone who believes. What is the gospel? What does the gospel do? Who is the gospel for? The only question left to ask is the one that we asked at first. Has this gospel, this good news, happened to you? Romans 10, 13, the last verse I give you this morning. God gives us a promise. It really follows up Romans 1, 16 very nicely. God says, for everyone. Everybody say everyone. Even you. Somebody right now, God is working on your heart and you're trying to talk yourself out of it. You've got 16 reasons why the good news doesn't apply to you. Right right now, the enemy is hitting you with all kinds of stuff that you've done and said and, and people you've hurt. But God says, for everyone, even you, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So this morning, has this gospel happened to you? Do you believe that this good news, what Jesus did on the cross and how he walked out of the tomb, do you believe that it's enough for you, that it counted for you? Because it, it does, it is. Have you experienced, experienced this life-changing explosion of God's grace in your life? Maybe today you're that person, God's been working on your heart and you're ready to call on the Lord. You're ready to say with Paul, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And I can't help but say something about it. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So I'm going to end with this. Today, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've came from, the gospel is good news for you.